I would like to now introduce our speaker for tonight, whose name is... <laughs> no, I'm done here. This is, you've heard the last of me. What's your name? Eddie. Our speaker is Eddie. <laughs> Hi, I'm Eddie, compulsive overeater. <laughs> I thank God for the abstinence I have. Um, thank you, Jamal. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm kind of nervous. I'm very nervous. So I just wanted to say that I'm still learning to participate uh, in life and be a part of groups and everything. And, and uh, this is all new for me. So I just wanted to say that up front. Uh, an old timer said that uh, he said to me once, uh, after five years, it gets real. After 10 years, it gets honest. And after 15 years, it gets real honest. And uh, on August 9th, I'll have five years, and it's feeling very real to me. And, you know, it's like, wow, here I am, you know, and uh, I have the communication skills of a five-year-old on August 9th. Um, so anyway, I, um, I thank God for the absence I have, and I, I always uh, say that after I identify myself because uh, when I first uh, started uh, coming back to OA uh, almost five and a half years ago, uh, I was doing, even if it wasn't told, I was trying to emulate the old timers and the people who uh, seemed to have what I wanted. And uh, one of the old timers, um, he always thanked God for his absence right away uh, before he shared. And uh, so I started doing that. And um, I asked him about it once, and he said, well, you know, I I always want to make sure that, you know, the God is in it, you know, and that I that I give thanks to God because it was him, you know, who's given me this gift. And um, I like that a lot, you know, and uh, it seemed real, something humble about that. Um, so I, I emulated that, and it's helped me a great deal. And... Um, and then my, my second sponsor, he always thanked God for the abstinence he has. He, he, he made it clear, he said to me once, that it's not his abstinence. He doesn't thank God. He doesn't say, I thank God for my abstinence. Because he always felt strongly that it wasn't anything he did. You know, it was a gift from God. So it was the abstinence he had. So that sounded good to me, too. So I started doing that. And... Uh, uh, there again, it, it really helps a lot, and I just wanted to share that. Um, so, uh, what it was like? Oh, I uh, actually I have some pictures. I just wanted to pass uh, this around. Uh, the first uh, uh, 20 years of my life, I ate whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, regardless of the consequence. Excuse me, uh, regardless of the consequences. And, uh, you know, these pictures will show you that, you know, it didn't matter uh, what I looked like. I, my top weight was somewhere over 255, and uh, I remember I, I had a 48-inch waist, and that was a big deal. You know, I, I'm sure some people could relate, uh, trying to find clothes, the shame and the embarrassment, particularly, I remember the gap. Uh, it doesn't sell clothes, at least at that time, not that big. Um, any major event in my life was associated with food, you know. I could tell you what I had for dinner on Mother's Day in 1981, <laughs> and uh, I think that's crazy. And uh, 
uh, all the holidays. I mean, pick a holiday, I'll tell you the food. Um, I don't have very many happy memories in my childhood other than the eating and the food. And um, I was thinking about this recently. Uh, I got a uh, 20-year high school reunion coming up next year, and uh, I'll be going back to the town. I haven't been back there in many, many years. And, you know, I got a lot of amends to make there, uh, places I stole food from, really. Um, grocery stores, pharmacy. I remember stealing a lot of junk from uh, pharmacy. So, um, yeah, I ate a lot. You know, I'm a compulsive overeater. I think I was born a compulsive overeater. Uh, I am a compulsive overeater. I'm going to die a compulsive overeater. And then I'll be a dead compulsive overeater. Um, but um, what happened was when I was 20 years old I moved to New York and I started studying I was wanted to be an actor so I was studying acting and um, I discovered uh, starving and uh, my life then became uh, really about starving for the first year or so and I lost uh, 85 pounds in the first year. It was really from starving. And um, I was like a loose cannon. I was all over the place. I was incapable of uh, living life on life's terms. I made a lot of uh, uh, horrible decisions and uh, created a lot of wreckage in my life and other people's lives. Uh, feelings would come like a freight train in the middle of the night and run me down. And... Uh, I was always acting and responding from that uh, frame of mind. And uh, I became, I would starve during the day and then binge at night. And I used uh, marijuana to, uh, to help me with that cycle. And, uh, you know, I would eat very little during the day, do lots of exercising, uh, at one point, I had it in my mind I wanted to train for the New York Marathon. And uh, I think I had just started jogging recently. Uh, and so it's like if, you know, I'm, I have a disease of more. You know, if one is good, two is better, and too much is almost enough. And uh, so I thought I would run the, the New York Marathon, starving during the day. Uh, eventually, my back and my knees started aching. And Anyway, it's just an example of you know these bad decisions and, and how it was all centered around the food. I, I spent many, many hours uh, thinking about what I ate, what I didn't eat, uh, what I was going to eat, what I shouldn't eat, uh, what I want to eat, what I don't want to eat. And when I was writing on my first step, I, I looked back on... All that time, I reflected on that time, and I realized, wow, geez, I wasted a lot of time just thinking about food and thinking about my body. And I, I kind of speculated that if I compressed all those moments together, it's probably about two, three years solid of just, you know, 24 hours a day just thinking about food and, uh, and my body. I was a compulsive wearer, which I have to admit at this time, that behavior is creeping back in and uh, I need to share about it uh, because I know I need to let that go again. At, uh, at one point at the height of that part of my disease, I was weighing myself 40, 50 times a day. First thing in the morning, 
before going to the bathroom, after the bathroom, after every meal, before every meal. I would use the scale to tell me when to stop eating uh, a meal. And it's kind of funny. I had kind of a dark little cavernous apartment in New York. I liked it like that. And uh, it, the lighting was very bad. Uh, but the best lighting to see the scale was from the refrigerator light. So I kept it in front of the fridge. and I'd open it up and get on it and say, oh, yeah, look at that, and close it up. So I think I probably wasted a lot of electricity just opening and closing that refrigerator door just to weigh myself. Um, so I first came to OA back in New York is probably about 10, 11 years ago. And at that time, I didn't really have a higher power. And um, I was so full of anger and self-will that uh, there was there was no chance of finding a higher power or any any sense of humility that, that would go along with something like that. And uh, I stayed around as long as I did, which was about six weeks or so, uh, simply because I was hearing the same language uh, being spoken, you know, by the people in the room. I was like, wow, you know, you guys are thinking as much about food or had in your life than I am right now. So that, that kept me around for as long as it did. Um, but like I said, you know, if, if I wasn't going to do it, it wasn't going to get done. So, you know, I left. But uh, the purpose of that was already planted. The seeds was, were planted. And um, they came to fruition much later. It was exactly, it unfolded exactly the way it should have. Um, so to get to my bottom, to the place of desperation, which I know in AA they... they uh, there are some people that that wish others desperation. I wish you desperation, you know, because that's I think the only way you're you're really going to get out of it uh, was for me anyway. And so um, what happened was um, I I met a woman. Uh, you know, it's not it's not enough to just kind of meet somebody and go on a date, you know, and see if you like them. I have to marry them, like, right away. Um, and so I met my second wife. Um, we had met and uh, started dating. And uh, three months later, uh, she was pregnant. And um, six months after that, we got married. And so a year after I met this woman, I was married with a kid. And uh, I... I became a stay-at-home dad. I, I said, well, seems like a good idea to give up everything I want, you know, or thought I wanted at that time, and, uh, and to do this. And I did. And I was a stay-at-home dad. And the fear, and the fear, it all just boils down in my mind to fear. The fear that I was living in was so uh, acute and so uh, raging. Uh, it was crippling. I was paralyzed. And all I could do was eat. And uh, I've had a, to make a lot of amends to my son uh, because I, in the first two years of his life, I completely manipulated his first two years on the planet to accommodate my eating behaviors. Um, cut short his time at the park, or, you know, forget about getting involved in any kind of, you know, play groups or relationships with other people with kids no I'm an isolator you know I'm a lone wolf I like to be withdrawn and I'm sorry son you're going to come with me you know 
And uh, it's very awful. It actually makes me kind of emotional still to talk about it. Um, you know, I always made sure that um, he had the, the best environment he could possibly have to sleep the longest amount of time <laughs> so that I would have a bigger chunk of time to myself to eat, to binge. And, um, it's, um, you know, it's the insanity of the disease, the sickness. And uh, I was gaining weight rapidly. Um, I was heading back up to my top weight. I was at 220, and I couldn't stop eating. And I was so full of despair and fear and self-loathing and shame. And I just kept thinking to myself, my God, with these past two years, just borrowed time, and this is the real me. I'm supposed to be just a fat guy the rest of my life. And, uh, and that was freaking me out. That was really freaking me out. And what happened was, uh, and I was in a very unhappy marriage, very unhappy relationship. We were not close, you know. We were whatever we were. And what happened was uh, my son was diagnosed with autism. And I share that specifically because it's played a big part in all of this for me. Uh, I became so grief-stricken and I felt so powerless and so helpless and uh, just filled with despair that the best idea that I was coming up with was suicide and I thought I was going to hang myself. I thought that was the best way to go. Uh, I was afraid of guns. It seemed painful. I didn't have any access to any drugs. Uh, I'm afraid of heights. Uh, we had an electric oven. <laughs> so um, I thought hanging was the way to go, and I thought I had gotten so fat that it wouldn't take so long. So that was my best idea. And one day I was walking along, and this was truly, truly a gift from God because I was so in the fog and so in the fear that I don't know how I could have thought this. But I started, I was going over the inventory of all the people that had had and were continuing to do me wrong and if they would just get their shit together I could get my shit together you know and things were so much better before I knew anybody and I was alone living alone in that cavernous apartment weighing myself 50 times a day in front of the refrigerator uh, that if these people would just toe the line you know everything would be better when I started to realize the similarities between all these people on this mental list I was making and it stopped me in my tracks when I realized the common denominator was me. And uh, I was really kind of frozen with this realization that I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. You know, I was making these relationships and making these choices that it was like flying an airplane, blind, you know, like without really knowing where I was going or what I was doing. And... Um, it, it actually, when I came upon this in the uh, AA 12 and 12, I was like, wow, that's exactly what I had thought that day. It is a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. I was like, there it is. That's me. That's what, that's what was going on with me. And the thing that was wrong with me, to boil it down, was, you know, A, I was in the disease. I was eating 
everything in sight. And I was filled with fear. It's just fear. And I heard uh, when I first came in to the, these rooms that fear and faith can't occupy the same space at the same time. You know, so I, it tells me that if I'm even in a, a hint of fear, I'm not in faith. And uh, I was really kind of um, I'm very grateful for that, to, to know that. It, it, it relieved me, I think, of a lot of, a lot of uh, pressure to get these people to do what I wanted. And uh, so that made me realize that I had to come back to the 12 steps. I had to come back to OA and start over or start anew, whatever. Just give it over, give it up. Because uh, the best idea, the alternative, was just hanging myself. That was it. So uh, I came back. I remember it was a Saturday morning meeting in Lomita. Um, uh, it's a big meeting in the South Bay. It's probably uh, 30, 40 people every Saturday. And that's where I started to get my recovery. And I, I got abstinent. The first time was April 25th, 1998. And uh, I stayed abstinent for three months without a sponsor, without working the steps. And I dropped like 30 pounds. But uh, resentments are our number one offenders. And uh, it says they'll kill us. And I realized that because I came up against it. And I realized I still had all this resentment towards certain people in my life. And um, it was suggested to me by this old-timer. Because I went to her and I said, hey, I want to do that four-step thing. I got a lot of resentments i got to get rid of. And she said, well, did you do the first three? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm here, aren't I? Isn't that enough? And she said, no, no, no. Do you have a sponsor? And have you worked the first three steps? Because if uh, you can't do number four until you do that. And she said, and if you don't have a sponsor and you're not working the steps, then you don't have a program. If you don't have a program, you don't have anything to offer. And you'll go. You'll leave. You w- and you won't be back. And I was like, oh, my God. She said, just ask somebody. Do yourself a favor. So I did. My first sponsor, uh, Kelly. One of the most generous human beings I've ever met in my life. So so moving, this man. I had sh- shoulder surgery one time, and he took me to the hospital, and he picked me up, and he dressed me. Afterwards, he put my socks and shoes on, you know, and took me home. Very, very generous man. And... Um, he was in several programs, several 12-step programs. And I remember he always used to say to me, Eddie, I don't, I don't think I have any more recovery left in me. This is it. I'm not going anywhere because if I do, I don't think I'm coming back. I said, shit, Kelly. Me too, man. I'm not going anywhere either. Well, he was serious. He was very serious because he did leave. And he hasn't been back. And I call him from time to time. But he's insane. He's out there. And um, sometimes when I call him, I can't even get a word in edgewise. He's just off and running. Uh, The last I'd heard, he just dropped some weight at Lindora. He was over 300 pounds. Um, I think that might have been the second or third time he's done that since, uh, since he left OA. So I really wish him well. I wish him desperation. I'd like to have him come back, you know.
So what I got from that, though, was, wow, I can't fuck around here. I don't want to play with fire. I don't want to take that chance. You know, I'm coming up on five years. You know, I mean, this guy would have had seven years. He was coming up on seven years in like a week. I don't want to take that chance and end up out there doing my shit, you know. Because they tell me the disease is progressive. And I'll take your word for it. Because I don't want to end up killing myself, you know. And now i got this son, you know, and I've got a lot of responsibility in my life. And my life is very full today. And there's a lot going on. And, uh, you know, people told me when I came here that your life will fill out, you know. Doing the deal here, you know, being involved, being active, your life will fill out. And, you know, I heard it, whatever. Yeah, sure, great, thanks. Here I am coming up on five years, and it's true. It's I don't know how it happened or why it happened or whatever. It just has, you know. And there again, like I said, I'm not real good at participating, being part of a group or, you know, really even having relationships. And so uh, I just kind of do what's asked of me. And I have service commitments, and I have sponsees. I have five sponsees. I have a sponsor. I actually have two sponsors at the moment. Um, you know, and I do things like this. I show up and do this only because it's asked of me. You know, I do this against my will. <laughs> you know, because my will wouldn't have me here. You know, I'd rather be at home, alone. That's my will. So my life is filled. It's filled out. And uh, you know, I teach now. I have a class that I teach on Saturdays. That's where I came from today. Um, you know, I, I one of the goals that I set for myself as an actor was I wanted to get into the actor studio, and uh, I'm well on my way to doing that. Uh, today, it's it's kind of the thing that I wanted, and uh, I'm getting to participate over there, and uh, very grateful. It's, it's very very humbling. It's very grateful. I'm, I'm just really, uh, you know, whenever they have that comment line and the sign-in sheet. I can't think of anything else to put down there other than grateful. That's all I can think of to put. I, I read other people's things to get ideas, you know. Oh, look what that person put. That's kind of clever, you know. Oh, that's interesting. They said exactly where they are today in, like, four words. That's that's incredible, you know. I mean, like, I really look at it. It's like, wow, these guys are masters at the comment line, you know. <laughs> All I ever put is grateful. And I sometimes I, I write it and I look and I think, God, grateful again. <laughs> I don't know what else to put. So um, one of the things, how much time do I have? How much? Oh, good, good, good. That's good. Uh, I don't think I hear enough of the physical part of the disease. You know, I think that the doctor's opinion very much does apply to me, that I do have an allergy to foods. And I brought up my son's autism earlier because this is where it plays a big part. My abstinence, by the way, is three meals, no sugar, no flour, no bread, no chips, no potatoes, no red meat, no pork. And um, that grew. That, that was an evolution. When I first started, it was three meals and a fruit snack, no sugar, no red meat, no pork. And, um, you know, more was revealed later. And the road got narrower. Uh, I've never taken anything back because I don't think I'm cured. Uh, but things certainly came up that I said, you know what? 
think it's time to let that go. Um, I've eaten my share of that stuff. If I eat any more, I'll be eating somebody else's share. But um, when I gave up the flour, it was so profound to me, so revealing for And it was a low-grade thing, though. I guess like alcohol, I'm not an alcoholic. I guess alcoholics, they drink the alcohol, they have like these violent allergic reactions to the alcohol, you know. With the flour for me, it was something very subtle, like a low-grade fever. And it was just like this haze. It was just, just enough, a film that covered my eyes that I didn't know was there my whole life until I gave it up. And after a certain period of time, I don't know, 30 days, six weeks, something like that. And, and then I was like, oh, my God, it was really kind of revealing. And one of the things that was explained to me was that it's not good for him to eat gluten or casein. Gluten is wheat, rye, oat, and barley because his body lacks a certain enzyme that breaks down those proteins and it acts as a mild opiate and keeps him checked out, exacerbates his condition. They said that, I was like, my boy, my boy, I completely know what you mean, you know? And it, it there again made me feel like, oh my God, I'm on a path. I'm, a plan is unfolding because I had just given this substance up and I had this wonderful liberating experience and now it's being presented that to help my son he's going to have to give that stuff up too so it very much made it simpatico for me and it very much made it feel like wow everything does happen for a reason and I have seen the effects on my son when he eats that shit he's not the same kid he's not the same kid and I know that and I can identify it and recognize it very quickly because I know it in me. You know, he's my son. You know, he's flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood. So it helps me to stay abstinent. You know, and uh, I look at him sometimes and I can see in him uh, the obsession sometimes with food. And. I take a lot of supplements, you know, to help. Uh, this is all my opinion. You know, I'm not endorsing or, or anything like that here. This has been my experience, uh, but it has helped me. Um, I feel like that's as far as I want to go with that. But the important thing is, is that I, I don't think it's an abstract thing that we have a physical disease, you know, and that the doctor's opinion really applies to alcohol and alcoholics, yet we kind of read it and believe it in an abstract kind of, you know, inferential kind of way, you know, a way that symbolically we relate to. I think it's real, you know, for me, for me. And I've had that experience that suggests that it's true for me. And uh, I can completely appreciate how it sets up the cravings and the mental obsession and without a higher power you know to help me you know I can very quickly be off to the races so I, I wanted to throw that in because it's very much been on my mind a lot lately um, I like it when I hear people talk about certain substances that they've 
uh, had to let go of or given up. Uh, it helps me. It helps to remind me um, that there very much is that addiction, uh, an allergy for me. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about that I wanted to say was the 11th step is not extra credit. That's what somebody said to me, and I love that. And being an actor, you know, I'm very much a stickler for how the word is written, how the line is written. And it says prayer and meditation. It doesn't say prayer and or meditation. There's not a choice there. I think it's both those things. And believe me, you know, when I, before the recovery and the disease, I had no spiritual life. I had no seeking. I had nothing. You know, so coming to this, five years ago, meditate, I'd sooner stick myself in the eye with a sharp stick, you know, than sit there and be quiet. But I do it now. Sometimes I don't do it every day, and I can feel it when, it, when, I, when I don't do it on that day. And uh, here's another thing in my experience. I was always an insomniac. I always had a lot of trouble sleeping. A lot of trouble sleeping. Well... That doesn't seem to be an issue for me today. And one of the things about my son, he has sleep issues, sleep problems. And they said, oh, it's a zinc deficiency. And make sure he gets calcium and magnesium with it, help his body absorb it. And that, that, that affects his sleep. Well, it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. I, was, I take that stuff every night and I meditate. I meditate in the morning. I sleep now, you know? It's like... To me, it's a miracle, you know, because there would be many nights in a row where I would be up four, five, six hours, you know, committees in session, you know, rooftop chatter, you know, and nobody wants to hear from me, you know. But uh, that doesn't seem to be the problem anymore today. And uh, I'm very grateful for that, too. It's yet another thing. It makes me go grateful on the, the comment list. Um, the other thing about uh, the spiritual, the, the 11th step and the 12th step, um, I heard an old-timer say once that God lives in the space between me and you. And the closer I get to you, the closer I get to God. And uh, that really resonated with me. That stuck with me. Because I don't... I'm fearful of people. I'm very fearful of people. You know, particularly men. You know, <laughs> I have issues with men. Um... Yeah, so um, it has helped me to get closer to people. And, and I love these meetings, and I love hearing stories, and I love the humility. When somebody really has that humility thing, I'm like, wow, that really catches my ear. I really like that a lot. Uh, I heard, uh, well, actually, it's one of my sponsors. He said that uh, the physical recovery always opened his eyes, always got his attention. You know, and when he heard of physical recovery, boink, you know, his eyes would open. Yeah, that's true, but something about the humility thing. I've heard some pitches that just have stayed with me for five years now, three, four, five years, and I don't think I'll ever forget them, you know, simply because there was just so much humility in them. And it's funny because I was reading uh, before I came in uh, tradition... And um, Bill is talking to the, the guy in the hospital, and, and um, he says, uh, 
She says to him, uh, says, uh, but from what you've told me about yourself and your problems and how you propose to lick them, I think I know what's wrong. Okay, the man said. Give me the business. Well, said Bill, I think you're just a conceited Irishman who thinks he can run the whole show. This really rocked him, but as he calmed down, he began to listen while I tried to show him that humility was the main key to sobriety, abstinence. Uh, finally, he saw that I wasn't attempting to change his religious views, that I wanted him to find the grace in his own religion that would aid his recovery. You know, and so I was like, wow, I guess my instincts to hear and listen for the humility, you know, were, were right on. So, very grateful for that, because I can be very arrogant and very egotistical and very uh, selfish and self-centered, you know. And my ego is not my amigo. And, um, you know, I, I want to be in charge. I want to run the show. Um, today, it really does, it's very uh, gratifying to help people. I find that, you know, you know whatever, if somebody calls me, uh, somebody reaches out, sponsee, uh, to just be helpful, you know, to share my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, there's something about that that really lifts me up, and I really feel like I was with God when that when that has happened, you know. And um, I really abstain from giving advice, you know, or, or telling people what to do. Uh, if I can't share it, in relation to my experience, strength, and hope, then, you know, I usually just listen. That's all I can do for somebody is just listen. Um, there's another point that I that popped into that key brain of mine. Well, I tell you, as I get older, you know, I used to make fun of people when they were younger and they couldn't remember things. I'd say, how the hell can you not remember that? I was there, you know, I remember it. And I say, oh, Eddie, when you get older, I'm starting to forget things. I'm like, Jesus, they were right. Um, oh, character defects. Yes. Um, I did step six and seven, and I said to uh, an old-timer, I said, what the hell? I just did six and seven. What's changed? Nothing. I still feel the same. I told you what my defects are. And he said, yeah, that always baffled me. He said, I, I came to believe it's a process, not an event. And I was like, whoa. For me, the ramifications, how I heard that, were so strong and, and profound for me. I was like, my God, that's what life is. It's a process, not an event. And I realized, Jesus, I was waiting for these events to happen. you know. And when they didn't, it made me angry and resentful. Or if an event happened, rather than recognizing it as a process... I was angry or resentful. So uh, that really, I found that very liberating. I still today very much have character defects, and it's as they present themselves, I'm understanding that this is another opportunity to turn them over. You know, I have an a, a temper. I get angry, um, and it doesn't take much. And I like to binge on anger and resentment, you know? And... Uh, well, I'm sorry, I always refer to the literature. I'm big on literature. Uh, step six, self-righteous anger also can be very enjoyable. In a perverse way, we can actually take satisfaction from the fact that many people annoy us 
for it brings a comfortable feeling of superiority. Gossip barbed with our anger, a polite form of murder by character assassination, has its satisfactions for us too. Here we are not trying to help those we criticize, we are trying to proclaim our own righteousness. Wow, that's me, you know, and it's still me to this day. And it's me when I'm not meditating. It's, it's more me when I'm not meditating. You know, oh, a nice resentment. That's like a half a dozen donuts. You know, I could go with that for a day, day and a half straight. So you could feel the heat. I can feel it rising up, you know, in the back of my mouth. So I've really had to come to learn that, wow, I've really got to let that go. I mean, it's one thing to write it down and to tell my sponsor about it. But it's really, I really understand how I really got to ask for help from God. I really got to say, hey, you know, please, you got to take this from me, you know. And I found that what I've been doing is just doing that before I get angry, you know, before I get in it, like what it said, what I just read. I found that it's better to, it's kind of like the same thing. Like somebody said, you know, you work with a sponsor when times are good, too. You know, you don't just call your sponsor in a panic. And uh, and that's true. That's that's been my experience. It's like wow, yeah. It's like making deposits in the karma bank or something. And uh, you know, when the shit hits the fan, I can make a withdrawal, <laughs> and uh, can kind of get me through. So um, the other thing I use the seven deadly sins to to help me with my character defects. And uh, when I got the sloth, I was like, I'm not slothful. You know, I, I'm I'm a doer. You know, I get things done, task oriented. But uh, then somebody said to me once, uh, relationships are work. And I was like, oh, my God. I, I like to isolate. I don't really like to do that relationship work stuff. I prefer to withdraw. Oh, my God, I am slothful. I don't want to do the work, you know, in relationships. It doesn't matter if it's a, a lover or a friend or colleague or anything. So I've I've had to ask a lot of help with that. Sometimes I don't know how to... Uh, address things in a relationship and to tell people what I need or what's going on good and so uh, I've had to um, I'll call somebody who has what I want and say what what should I say I don't I don't really know what to say here and uh, I'll listen to them you know and and more times than not I'll, I'll do what they say and maybe tweak it a little here and there so anyway I just got the uh, the flag uh, boy, was I nervous. And uh, I really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, it helps me a lot. It helps me to practice participating. You know, uh, I feel like I was a little dry today. <laughs> but uh, I guess I'll just have to let that go. So um, what happens now? I take questions. Oh, God. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks. Any questions? Okay, great. Let's go home. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, uh, how do I work? The question was, uh, how, how did I develop the skills and tools to reach out to people? 
which yes very much i don't like the phone and i think what i'm beginning to realize now as i'm getting older in my abstinence is that i don't know how to end a phone conversation you know i don't really know how it's supposed to go and so i think maybe on some level i'm afraid of using the phone because i'm going to get trapped on there you know and i'm going to be on there for like a half hour or so and it's going to really fuck up my day you know and and it's and i think that you know it's i mean yeah sometimes i have places i need to be you know and i can't have so what i'm getting better at doing is is if i return a call or take a call i say i got 10 minutes you know and uh and people don't seem to be offended, which is good. Sometimes I've actually had to set a timer because I've had to make a list of calls, you know, like return people's calls, whether it's program or not. And I'll call them and say, hey, return your call. Listen, i got 10 minutes. i got to set this timer, you know. And um, I did that with a sponsee. And he said, oh, okay, let me get right to the point. So what happened was, <laughs> and I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. What you need to do is pray and meditate. Okay, I gotta go. So, um, <laughs> so that that has and I, that's only been recent that I've come to that. Uh, it it goes in and out. It really is contrary action for me to take and make phone calls. You know, and um, there again, I find that if I don't, if I do it when I have a comfortable cushion of time it helps me because I think if I do it when I think like I've got 15 minutes you know I think I get paralyzed with oh god no I'm going to get trapped on there and I'm not going to know how to end the conversation you know I mean I've let call waiting calls go because I don't know how to interrupt somebody to say there's another call coming in you know and then I I hope that wasn't about a job you know so um, so it's it's there again, it's a process, not an event for me. And I, I find that, uh, like I said, when I'm calm and I don't have to make any calls, to make some calls, just to check in and, and say hello, and that's it, you know. Uh, that, that has helped me a tremendous, a tremendous amount. So, cool. Um, well, I think, I don't recall that I did, because I didn't start my abstinence with the flower. Uh, and at the beginning, i got to tell you, when I first got abstinent, I realized where that phrase hopping mad came from. Because there were days I was hopping all over my house. I thought that's the only way I could get the anger out of me, you know. And at one point, while I was in the midst of doing it, unconsciously, I became aware. I said, oh, my God, look, I'm hopping around this house. Wow, that's where they came up with this phrase, hopping mad. Jeez, that's interesting. But the point is, is that when I first got abstinent, I guess if that was part of the withdrawals and that was the sugar and not eating in between meals, then yes, very much so. But by the time I think I got to the flour, because first I did white flour, and um, I just had a willingness. And I don't really remember having that kind of an acute reaction to it. And then 
eventually I realized that, you know, flour and bread is just, no matter what color it is, you know, so I, I just had to give it up. And I, and like I said, I was very willing and, and there was a part of me that was kind of um, eager, you know, which <laughs> from where I came from, you know, I would have never have described myself as that, you know, when I was giving up something that I was very much in love with. So, uh, so yeah, early, the first part of abstinence with the sugar and just being abstinent, yes, very much so. Emotionally <clears throat> and I think physically, I did go through a lot of withdrawals. But later on, it just, uh, I was very willing, I think. So, cool. Any others? Thanks, Dan. How do I deal with fear, fearful fear coming up? <clears throat> meditate is the first thing. Um, I was trying to do a little meditation right there before I got up. Uh, that's a big thing. Um, it was uh, suggested to me that um, when I'm feeling fearful, which um, I was sharing with somebody the other day, I think like flour, that that is a low-grade fever that I have with me, and it flares up from time to time. And uh, the spiritual progress part, you know, like that says, it's, you know, we claim spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. The spiritual progress part, I think, is... is uh, breaking that fever for just little chunks of time in the course of my life, you know. And what was suggested to me was that I read some literature that has a higher consciousness than I do, which is this, I think, and um, get quiet and do that and, uh, and meditate. And I can only meditate for a couple of minutes at a time at the best. That's, that's a good day. It's maybe two or three minutes. And... Uh, and then, you know, just, just walk through it depending on what it is. You know, like for this, I just, I kept saying to myself, well, it's just my experience, strength, and hope, you know, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. You know, it's just that simple. You know, you get all these, I get all these grandiose ideas. I come up here, I'm going to be funny and all that stuff. And I just was with an old timer, and he was great, man. He, he had these, ah, oh, he's just the best speaker. He's actually going to be speaking at Serenity Sunday coming up. But, um, uh, what did he say? He said, uh, "He said, yeah, I was going to give my humility pitch, but there's not enough people here. And <laughs> I loved it. And he said, hey, hey, I'm very proud of my humility. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, um, you know, that's the, that's the start of it, I think, is that thing. You know, reading this material that has a higher consciousness, you know, that helps me in my recovery and then meditate, you know. So does that help? Oh, good, good. Cool. That's it. So what happens now? I get off the podium. Thank you very much.